Hey everyone, welcome to the Five Beer Plan. I'm Brian, and this is the ongoing saga of an everyman's ale trail. In this episode, it's time to deck the hops, talk beer with David Young from Buckeye Brewcraft in Columbus, Ohio, and review Pour One Nine from Mommy Bay Brewing. In this segment of Looking for Lupulin, you can feel that chill in the air here in the Midwest, which means it's sweater weather. Yet another hop hailing from the Pacific Northwest, Cashmere was developed by Washington State University. Its parents are a female Cascade and a male Northern Brewer, which are both pretty big hop varieties on their own. It was formally released to the public in 2013. According to my go-to reference book, Julian Healy's The Hops List, Cashmere has an alpha acid content of 7.7 to 9.1% and a beta acid content of 3.3 to 7.1%. It retains up to 75% of its alpha acid content after six months of storage, which makes it a pretty versatile hop. With this balance of alpha to beta acid, it makes for a great dual-use hop. As such, it pairs well with mosaic or citra, which can really accentuate the exotic tasting notes of cashmere. BeerMaverick.com describes the profile of cashmere as having a complex and intensely fruity aroma with strong overtones of lemon, lime, peach, and melon. Secondary notes of coconut, lemongrass, candy, and herbs can show through in whirlpool or dry hop additions. You can find this hop in such styles as pale ale and IPA, Saison, wild ale, American blonde, and American Amber. Homebrewers looking for a cashmere substitute hop might go back up to the family tree and utilize Cascade, which offers a similar profile, though with a lower alpha acid content. Cashmere does not appear to be proprietary, so it is possible to buy rhizomes to grow in your own backyard. In this segment of Homebrew Hijinks, it's time for fermentation. As mentioned in the previous episode, there was a bit of questionable decision-making prior to pitching the yeast. A lack of post-boil volume caused an impulsive topping off of the fermenter with some tap water. I was immediately concerned that this might cause problems in the wort. This is because boiling the wort essentially pasteurizes it. Anything not sanitized that comes into contact with the wort could introduce contaminants that would spoil the whole batch. Even excess oxygen can cause problems. This is especially true for the home brewer like me who is not kegging and only hand capping bottles. Fortunately, within about six hours, the yeast started to do their work. A fluffy, mocha-colored foam formed on the surface of the deep dark wart. It was pretty beautiful. This went on for a couple of days before I moved the fermenter into the basement for the remainder of the two-week fermentation. Since no dry hop or adjuncts were necessary, I just let the yeast do their thing. So next time, we'll bottle up and taste the finished product. Now, it's time for Barstool Banter. This episode, I start the first half of my interview with David Young from Buckeye Brewcraft in Columbus, Ohio. Listen in as we talk about owning a homebrew store, brewing beer, and lots more. Welcome to Barstool Banter. I'm sitting down virtually with David Young from Buckeye Brewcraft in Columbus, Ohio. David, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join me on the podcast. Brian, it is my pleasure. Thank you so, so much. So can you please tell my listeners what Buckeye Brewcraft is and what your role is there? Yeah, so Buckeye Brewcraft is the 
what we'd like to think the quintessential homebrew store. The store launched some years ago. Uh, we're actually in the 10th year now of the store under previous ownership with the idea of creating an, a real all-in-one shop. And while so many homebrew shops can really cater towards specifically beer or maybe specifically winemaking, we take a bit broader approach. And we have found that it's allowed us to get more people into the craft, which is great. So Buckeye Brewcraft is an all-in-one homebrew store. Anything that can ferment or be made, we represent in some way. And we're very, very proud to offer a physical location to let people come in and discover. And are you the owner? Oh, yeah. So sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I am the owner. As of February of this year, I am the owner. So still getting my legs under me a little bit with owning a homebrew shop from being just a homebrewer, but certainly having fun with it. So how did you come into uh, owning a homebrew store? <laughs> what a great question. So I make the joke all the time of people that come in here just to say, be careful, because the next step from your next batch of uh, homebrew is going to be buying a store. I come from a lot of corporate background, working in business development in different ways, in leadership development, and in sales training and leadership development. So my last gig that I was working, while it was a lot of fun, the corporate environment took a little bit of a turn that I, I wasn't so happy with personally. We had just, my wife, my mother-in-law, and I had relocated from Naples, Florida up to Columbus, Ohio. And the timing was just right that I could step out of that position. And literally, I think it was 10 days later, the accountant for the previous owner had posted this job for sale of all places on Facebook Marketplace. Uh, so <laughs> I found it through Facebook Marketplace and struck up a, a relationship with Jim, the previous owner. And, you know, he felt that I was the right person to take it over. I felt that I could do some really great things with my background and knowledge and kind of forward thinking. And, and here we are. Yeah, Columbus is a long way from Naples, that's for sure. Well, you'd think so, but I would say probably 75 to 80% of Naples is actually just Columbus, Ohio residents that are there part-time. So uh, <laughs> all, all flights are direct. It's pretty easy to get from one place to the other. Uh, excellent. So you probably <laughs> haven't been too happy with the weather going from the nice warm weather to the cool stuff. You know, days like today specifically, and I know, you know, kind of off air, we had talked about the weather in your neck of the woods as well. I can't say that I've loved the past couple of days, but last year was my first real winter after just going from visiting Columbus to living here and kind of get, being able to get out of it. And I got to say, I'm pretty happy with it. I like wearing sleeves. I like the occasional snow. It's been a good change. Okay. So Naples, Florida is not an area that I have ever explored. My in-laws retired to the greater Tampa area. And yeah. so over the years, we've had opportunity to go down there and explore Last February, uh, my wife and I went down for a month. We did a quite extensive exploration, as you can see from Jacksonville area. I got my shirt and then also the greater Tampa area as well. So what's yeah. the craft scene like down in Naples? I would say it's pretty okay. Very, very small, or at least at the time that I left it, it was pretty small. It's funny to say because it's only been, you know, under two years since I left that area. And there's been a lot of development since then, but I would say the support for local brew is strong there, but the breweries themselves struggle to get a bigger marketed product out there. There's a few in detail that, you know, that we can name, but I would say largely from a Florida craft beer perspective, it's Fort Lauderdale, Tampa, Gainesville, Tallahassee, and Jacksonville for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And certainly uh, there's nothing like Columbus. So one of the things that I think we talked about before 
we used to visit Columbus quite often for our daughter because she was in 4-H and would come to the state oh, yeah. fair and come to the downtown for the annual conference. And so that's kind of how I got involved in enjoying Columbus Ale Trail. And that first year that we were there, I think there were maybe 25 breweries, 30 maybe. And yeah. now it's like almost 50 breweries, I think, in the greater Columbus area, which is insane. You wouldn't think there'd be enough people to be able to support that many breweries, but, but there is, which is nuts. You know, it's a double-edged sword. We've been talking about this a lot lately because Columbus has exploded in craft beer around here. And, you know, in the store, we're fortunate enough to get to work with a lot of the people working in that brewery scenario. Not so much for the professional side of things, but they still brew personally. And they're, yeah. you know, they're in here talking all the time about projects and pilot batches and all those sorts of things that we can help them with. And the really sad thing, and I'm, I'm thinking about this off the cuff, but there have been three pretty successful breweries that have had to close their doors in the last six months. I mean, it's happening rapidly now. So I think the unfortunate part is that we've kind of reached that peak of available space for the same beers, you know, and the people that are brewing, that are representing breweries that are trying to do things a little more traditional or creative or doing cask ales or trying to do full Belgian breweries and all like th those things are starting to fall by the wayside. It's sad to see, but it's really a show of what the market wants at the same time, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. I yeah. think, I think my last pick is that within Columbus, there was something like 23 registered breweries. It, it's nuts right now. It makes it nice if you uh, want to go and visit. So there are a lot of choices yeah. there. I agree with you. I think that's one of the things I'm seeing in the industry overall is that there's a, I think a pretty sharp decline right now. I mean, I don't think we're quite in the double digit range, but I think we're getting close to that as far as the market share. And yeah. just like you said, the number of breweries that are just all of a sudden that have been long established, just yeah. closing their doors. As a quick aside, there's a really interesting YouTube video that was been put out by Clawhammer Supply. It's been out for about a week and it's a little bit of a clickbaity video, but ultimately, but the guy that represents Clawhammer, he shows this charted graph in the research since 2011 of the rise of brewery space and the decline of homebrew. And it's shocking to me that the hmm. two are exactly inverse. They 100% cross at the same rate. And you would think in a world where a lot of people are having to pay $18 for a four pack of beer that homebrew would be more popular than ever. But it seems to be that, you know, the breweries are starting to take over that space a little bit, interestingly. But that still, is... so many that are having to close their doors. That's a fascinating statistic. Like you said, you'd think it'd be, I, I would think it would be more in line that you'd have the same kind of trend. It'd be yeah. a much lower one for the home brewery. Yeah. Wow. I mean, the cost for home brewing really hasn't increased. In fact, the, the barrier to entry has decreased lower than ever for people to get started with it. Um, equipment's better than it's ever been, but I, I don't think we see that here, to be perfectly honest. Our store has had a great increase over the past three years anyway, since 2020, but overall the market seems to be showing that. Now, I, I didn't really look too closely. Are you the only homebrew store in Columbus? Tricky question. So technically, no. There is another shop that's down a little bit south of us in an area town called Clintonville called the Winemaker Shop. It is very largely a winemaking shop. Okay. Uh, they do carry some brew supplies. Other than that, we are. And the unfortunate side of that story is that until March of this year, there were four. And because we stock the amount of inventory we do, we've been able to survive, whereas the others have had to kind of change course. Okay. Oh, interesting. Well, how large of a space do you have there? Yeah, the sales floor space, so to speak, is about 1,800 square feet. We have it completely open. It is a dedicated space as a homebrew store, so we're not fitting things into weird corners. So I would say overall about 1,800 square foot. We have a, a walk-in cooler for hops and yeast that takes up a little bit of that space. Overall, seems to be plenty of room. I would love to have some more for backstock, but we're able to keep everything in that space. 
Yeah. Well, I know when I visited there to quote unquote only get some citra pellets last uh, <laughs> earlier last month, um, I was pretty amazed. I mean, the spaces, even though you've got a lot there, there's a lot of space to move. It's pretty wide open. So you've done a really good job, yeah. I think, of spreading things out. What other things do you have there besides you know, your typical hops, yeast, malt? So those things certainly take the lion's share of, of what we would talk about. And so in the store at any point in time, we have something like 103 grains that we keep in stock. We have basically any hop that's available in the U.S. in our cooler. We carry, I think we're up to six different vendors for yeast, um, most of them liquid, some dry. But in addition to those things, we'll carry all the adjuncts you can possibly imagine. We have an entire spice and addition section for beers. We carry wine kits, both in grape varietals from specific regions, something think like an Argentinian Malbec specifically. We usually keep a dozen or so of those in stock. We keep a variety of mixed fruit purees and gallon concentrated wine bases for fruit wines for those winemakers. Of course, all the supplies that go along with it. We carry anything to make kombucha, to make seltzers, which is hugely popular right now. Any sort of water addition or chemical additive that you can use, uh, all the measuring tools you can imagine. We are a full stock kegging supplier as well, both for commercial and for the uh, private side of things. We refill CO2 bottles here. Gosh, I've probably got a lot more that I could say as I look around the store here, but anything that you can need to possibly make anything to ferment and keep it clean. As I said, I was really, uh, I was taken aback by the amount of inventory that you have there. So I think you've done a really good job of having a little bit of everything and still yet focusing on the homebrew side. So I think that's really yeah. cool. It's a delicate dance, isn't it? Because you, you don't want to have too much of one thing or the other, but you want to have enough of everything that you don't run out <laughs> at the same time. It is a very tricky balance. You know, the, the cost of things has not gotten lower. They increase all the time. And we have been fortunate to negotiate really, really tight deals. Listen, everybody's, everybody's going to be pretty much in the same boat from a homebrew store, but we have been around long enough and purchased enough to where we seem to get a little better rate. And that allows us to do that. But even right now, I mean, we, you know, you and I talking earlier, the Thanksgiving holiday wrecked us for inventory. We're still catching up. So it can get pretty tough, but fortunately, I've got an absolutely amazing team that helps manage that inventory for me because they would drive me nuts if I had to do it all alone, I'll tell you. There's right. just too many too many people you got to shop from. Yeah. So what have you seen from a, an inventory standpoint? What has been the, the product or products that have increased the most over the past year since you've had the store, for example? Yeah, great question. Because we, I mean, we literally just went through this. Grain is probably the biggest one. You know, we kind of get set in our ways with the inventory system and there's not at least to our knowledge, a really great point of sale system to help track the sale of grain because they're in such, it's in such large graduation between somebody needing an eighth of a pound all the way up to 400 pounds. There's no real retail system that'll track the amount of grain other than, hey, here's a barcode on a bag and not. So we get set a lot in the ways of saying, okay, just order three more bags of Maris Otter or whatever, and not realizing on the back end that they've been climbed up the price $20 per bag. And then three months later, here we are finally realizing it. So I think right now, if in this very moment, grain is the thing, but you know, we've had, um, we've had some really surprising things. Uh, so we've had to go take a look at the rest of the internet space of homebrew sales with some of the bigger names out there that I'll leave out of this. And just to say, hey, where are we against these major suppliers and always stay under them? And so we're fortunate to do that. But man, it, it catches up with you quick on stuff like grain. Right. Especially you know, like for me, I'm, I'm brewing one gallon batches. So I need yeah. fractions of a pound. 
if you're not, I guess, keeping up on the overall size of things, if you've got a 20% increase in the cost, you're not trickling that down to the smaller amounts. It all adds up when all is said and done at the end of the day. Right. It's very easy to increase the price if you want to buy a 55-pound bag of Marisotti. It's yeah. very hard to figure out what that ends up needing to be at the one-pound level. For sure. Right. So your clientele, mainly home brewers, but do you also get some professional brewers that come in and dabble as well? Yeah, 100%. So a lot of the breweries around are still comprised of home brewers, which I do think makes Columbus perhaps a little bit different than some of the other markets that I've been around anyway, where so many of the breweries here are launched professional breweries from the homebrew environment. It's really awesome. So those folks are really tight with the store. And even the folks that have worked in the pro brewing space for a long time, when they want to do something in that space that requires a pilot batch to determine whether or not specialty grain A is going to sink or swim versus specialty grain B, they can come get it for us for a really inexpensive price versus working with their big time distributors that have it trucked in on pallet loads. So you know, we get to we get to learn kind of what they're doing ahead of time a lot of times. And that has seemed to have increased. I'm not sure if it's simply with the change in weather because people are brewing bigger beers now than typically in the summer, or if, you know, it will always be a thing, but we love it. And I think the other part of it that we get a lot of are business from the distilleries in town. So the folks that are doing mobile serving at events and things, because we are a kegging and CO2 and nitrogen supplier, we are able to meet all those needs. And we've made some great relationships with them down to even be able they have had me come in and host some digital content and video classes on kegging for their teams and that sort of thing. So we really try to be all things for all people. Well, I think that helps keep you successful, but it also means you've got to be on your game as well and know a little bit about yeah. everything. Very, very, very true. And you'll probably hear me say it multiple times, but the folks that we have in this store working together are an incredible group of people. And I am extremely confident that if there did happen to be something that I wasn't familiar on, you know, Sarah, who's here in the store with me, absolutely has my back and has that answer or so on and so forth. So yeah. very, very fortunate. Well, and I think in any business too, whether it's a brewery, whether it's a homebrew store, whatever you have in the service industry, it's always good to have people that you hire, that you're confident in, that can build your team and, and help you be successful. So it sounds like you've got people that you are very confident in, which is really cool. Very, very much so. So you mentioned Pilot Brewing. When I visited, you were actually brewing a batch up of beer there in the store, which uh, I mean, it kind of blew me away. I was like, oh, I never thought about that. But that's that's really cool. Yeah, that is this glass that I'm currently drinking. Um, oh, is that, yeah. that, that what you brewed up? Okay, cool. I hadn't really thought about it, but it absolutely is. Yeah, we have aptly named this Gabe's Cascadian Dark Ale. So Gabe Ooh. is the other person in the store the day you visited. Yeah. Yeah, these, and this was from my Cascade uh, Hop Harvest, too. So it was all, it was kind of the, the end of the year run for that beer. We do brew here often. We are able to do things as space allows. And that's, it's a little bit of a tricky thing to say, but there is an, a remarkable correlation to brewing something and getting really involved in the store, getting absolutely packed full of people. So it makes it a little hard to follow up, but we tend to do a little simpler things in the store for that reason. But, but yeah, absolutely. Today we've transferred one batch of wine. We have another that's in secondary. And then we've got both the maple vanilla stout that was our kit beer for November and this Cascadian dark ale that we're all done here. That Cascadian dark sounds good. I mean, it smelled, the grain steeping smelled really amazing when we were yeah, there. So it's good. You know, it was, uh, so it was Gabe's birthday beer. His birthday was the day after he brewed this and he had never used an electric system before. He was new to us here in the store, but very familiar from the pro brew side of things. And so I kind of put his feet to the fire and said, Hey, make a beer with this and you can do anything you want. He threw a brilliant recipe together and it's very good. 
the longer it sits in that keg, the better it gets too. It's pretty awesome. So you mentioned pilot brewing. Do you ever pilot brew for any of your professional clientele? Not yet. There's a weird and wacky line that comes into the the legalities of being able to do those things and produce. We are trying to find our space in that world so that in 2024, we can do a little bit of expanding and offer pilot brewing to people. I want to do this kind of collaborative brewing idea, which I may have talked to you about when you visited, but we have access to a couple 20-gallon natural gas-fired pilot systems. And I want to be able to have folks come in, pick a recipe from our library that they want to do and work together in teams. And whether it be a team-building event for whatever career-minded focused folks are out there or just a bachelor party or date night or whatever, we want to be able to do those things and then offer that equipment on the professional side as well. Because if we're not running it, somebody else might as well, right? Yeah. So that's, that's in our 2024 for sure. Okay. I like that. Kind of like an escape room sort of thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, I will give a shout out here. There is a um, tap room company up in the the Northern side of Ohio called the brew kettle that does this. Their model is phenomenal. So I'm looking at them all the time, trying to figure out what we can do to, to even take a, not take a piece, but offer a piece of what they're doing down a little bit further South. Sure. You know, you've mentioned already that you're a home brewer. How long have you, have you been brewing personally? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's going to range somewhere between say 10 and 12 years. Uh, I usually just go with a decade because it's a good round number. The trick there is that homebrewing has come in a lot of different forms in my life, whether it's fermenting teas or fermenting beers or making wines or whatever. I would say that if we look at it from a beer perspective, about 10 years, you know, starting with the most rudimentary of tools, because as we kind of, as you know, we alluded to earlier, the the Southwest Florida beer scene was scant at best so the idea of brewing was simply to produce something that my wife really enjoyed being from columbus so she was used to having you know, all kinds of great options and then down there there were none so it started with fulfilling a need and then from there it just became the rabbit hole of all rabbit holes so did you start out just like everybody else with the extract move on to the all grain and then i so i could have purchased from the internet but i didn't i didn't have extract available to me i was forced straight into all grain okay so it was a Facebook marketplace or Craigslist purchase of whoever's hand-me-down equipment because they just didn't want to deal with it anymore. And it was, it was a couple of turkey fryer kettles and, uh, and an igloo cooler to get started, just like most everybody did at that time, and has evolved to all kinds of wacky DIY projects all the way up to now where I've got three different electric systems that run in any, any level of capacity at any point in time. Do you have any favorite hops or adjuncts that you personally like to use in your brewing? Oh, yeah. That's a, oh, what a good question. Favorite hops. I'm going to say Columbus just because of look where we are. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I fully mean that because I don't use it a ton, to be perfectly honest, in my brewing. But, you know, come on, it's called Columbus. Right. I do. I really, we have been on this train of talking about Chinook a lot lately in the store. And it's kind of a, an old school, almost forgot about hop. But the recent crops of it seem to be a little bit higher alpha, at least the ones that we've gotten hold of. And they are phenomenal. So right now we're really high on Chinook. Actually, Gabe that we talked about earlier is at home brewing a, a, a smash beer with some extra Chinook right now because he, he liked it that much. I tend to like earthier, more noble side of hops, to be perfectly honest. Some of the New Zealand stuff can get pretty cool as a small addition for aromatic here or there, some dry hopping, but mostly stick in the lowish floral alpha acid side of things. Last call. It's nearly time to wrap things up, but first, one more for the road. This episode, I'm drinking 
Pour One Nine from Mommy Bay Brewing in Toledo, Ohio. From the brewer, hopped solely with pungent cashmere hops, this brew leads with a nice lemon, lime, and peach aroma. A silky smooth mouthfeel combined with a crisp citrus aftertaste pleasantly lingering until the last gulp. Enjoy Pour One Nine Hazy IPA, brewed right here in the 419 at Toledo's Original Craft Brewery. Without further delay, So this is a 5.5% hazy IPA with a modest 30 IBUs. So I poured this out into a snifter glass based on the aroma, saying that it's a very pungent and very aromatic. When I poured this into uh, to my glass, first of all, I can definitely get a lot of that citrusy profile that was described. Definitely get some lemon, some lime, a little bit of stone fruit, some peach maybe. So, first sip impression, mm. so that's nice. It definitely has a nice hop crispness, a little hop bite on the end. Not overly so, again, it's only 30 IBU, so it's very modest, but it gives you that feel that you're having something very citrusy. Leaves with a little bit of a lemony, lime kind of finish there. It is pretty smooth overall. It isn't uh, overly aggressive hop-wise on the front of the palate. I'd say it's a little bit maybe on the effervescent side, although I don't see a whole lot of effervescence per se in the beer. Boy, is it ever refreshing. And I, and I do. I really like the aroma on this beer. It just has a nice tropical vibe going on. So if I was going to have a, a backyard barbecue, maybe something where I was entertaining, I would definitely get a case or two of this beer because it's really light and refreshing. With an ABV of 5.5%, it's darn near sessionable. It's very light, not uh, not heavy at all. So on the palate, it's got a very light feel to it. So there's a, just a very, very light body to it. But again, I could see this going so well with just about anything that you would want to have at a backyard barbecue. Those cashmere hops. Honestly, I know I've had beers with cashmere hops in them previously, but I really don't recall specifically what beer that would be but frankly i really like the flavor profile of this so the description says that it's hopped solely with the cashmere hops i suspect that there are not only cashmere in the boil but also probably some in a dry hop as well cashmere is another one of those great dual use hops and uh, i'm gonna have to brew some beer with cashmere at some point so i could see just because of the tropical vibe of this beer, I could certainly see uh, another hop variety such as Mosaic or even Citra that would go really well with this and really accentuate the very citrusy flavors that are going on in this beer. Again, just a nice, solid beer. So overall, I would give this one three and a half tasters out of five on the flight board. Cheers, Mommy Bay Brewing. If you've got a beer you'd like me to drink and describe, leave a comment below. If you're a brewer and have one in mind, direct message me on Instagram and let's see what we can do. Well, that's all for this episode of the 5 Beer Plan. With so many podcasts out there, thanks for choosing to listen to mine. Join me next time as I wrap up my homebrewing project, talk about the state of the industry, and mash out on my conversation with David Young from Buckeye Brewcraft in Columbus, Ohio. Remember to hit the subscribe button to be notified of new episodes. I'd love to hear from you, so please follow me on Instagram 
Five Beer Plan 2022 and leave a comment to let me know what one of your favorite beers with cashmere is. Be sure to support your local breweries, choose your beers wisely, and drink them responsibly. Until next time, keep walking your ale trail and stay thirsty, my friends. <laughs>